Thanks for joining us and supporting Vicky Doe Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vickydofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vickydofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 70. Do you really need to eat breakfast? Research and dietitians agree that there's a clear answer for people looking to optimize their nutrition and support a healthy weight. What are the best and worst cities for people with a disability in 2021? A new report details aspects of the community life that can make life easier or much harder for people living with a disability. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks Bright. So, how are you, D? Hey, Vicki. <laughs> how are you? I am fine. We are here, and it is a wonderful, beautiful day. I saw something the other day about how October is really becoming, you know, like a summer month kind of thing. I was today, I was, I had my chair sitting in the sun. I was like, wow, this is nice. I could deal with this. It is nice. And so it is nice. I'm taking it and I'm sticking with it until it goes away. (laughs) I know, right? I know. I know. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, this is episode 216, and today we talk about today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. Our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 70. Do you really need to eat breakfast? Is breakfast worth your time and effort? We're going to see in this episode what's the latest, the latest research and what dietitians say about that. What's up with those parents sneaking in that carbon dioxide monitors, those monitors into their kids' schools to see what the air quality, if it's safe? What's up with that? Well, we're going to be, I know, isn't that crazy? We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) We would definitely see. We are going to be talking about these interesting articles later on this episode. So stay with us, folks. Stay with us. Make sure, make sure you go 
sign up for our new course. We have a new course now on our Vikido Fitness Academy platform. It's called Emotional Intelligence. It's a comprehensive approach for maximizing performance and your quality of life. And this is an online eight-week course that is facilitated by our certified emotional intelligence instructor, Kelly Ashby of Kelly Ashby Consultant. And, and the reason why I wanted this course, all of this on our Vikido Fitness Academy is most especially now during the pandemic, all the things that we are experiencing and seeing, our emotional health is important. It affects our health and well-being. And in this course, you will be able to learn and apply the critical core competencies that are needed to relate and navigate in different and sometimes stressful environments. And you will learn to understand your emotions and feelings, and you will be able to work with teams and colleagues at work, relate with your families. You will be able to be more productive and effective in your everyday lives. For more information about this course, go to www www.vikidofitness.com forward slash emotional intelligence and sign up today. You will be so glad that you did. Don't forget, we do have our resources page, vikidofitness.com resources, and there you will find products and services that will be helpful to you as you embrace your life of health and fitness. We have a variety of items on this resource list for you to check out and try. We have Reebok, Warby Parker, Polar, iRemedy Healthcare. I use iRemedy Healthcare all the time. That's how I order all the masks and all the, the hand sanitizers. We got the medical supplies for the caregiver. We got Art of Tea. We got a lot of things. My lab box. I used my lab box the other day because they have a kit now that you can test your food sensitivity and then send it in and they will give you results. We have all of these things, these products, these services on our resource page. Let's talk about the ecolunchbox.com that's on our resources page. Eco Lunchbox specializes in the stainless steel bento boxes. They have lunch bags, they have napkins, snack sacks, and all of this is eco-friendly lunchware. Now, why is that important? Well, they are a certified green business, and this is great most especially since we are all back in school, teachers, children, you know, we are back in school now. And so you can invest in environment-friendly lunch boxes and silverware. They are colorful. They're beautiful. Go check them out. Go check this website out. And let's say goodbye to plastic. Not only do they have lunch boxes, they have containers. They have an, an eco lunch pod. Go check it out. I can talk about this for a long time. You need to see that. You need to go and see all the wonderful things that they have on this website. And there's always a sale going on as well. So make sure you go check out ecolunchbox.com on our resources page, www.vikidofitness.com 
forward slash resources. And remember, when you use any of the affiliate links to buy any of the products and services on our resources page, you're supporting us here at Vicky Doe Fitness. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Yeah, D, like I said, I'm loving this weather. We're having sunshine. It's not too bad in the morning and at night it's a little bit cool. But I no, can I can no, deal with it's actually it. Not bad at all. I can too. You know, it was funny. The other night I left my um charger, my you know, the wire for my charger in the car and I was like, Oh shoot, I gotta get up, it's gonna be so cold outside. I went out and it was like sixty five degrees and it was like Two o'clock in the morning. I was like, "Okay, I can, I can deal with this. This is slowly coming to a screeching halt." Very soon, right? <laughs> Very soon. But right now, like you said before the show, I can deal with this for now. Yeah. Let's just embrace it and enjoy it. Let's embrace it and enjoy it. Another thing I did this week, though, just I think it was just yesterday. Yeah, I went uh-huh. to the you know the hearing and all that where they're talking about um, having a sidewalk in our community. And you know, you know. So what's up with that? So tell me mm-hmm. the motivation. I was just talking to a friend the other day about that. What's up? What's going on is the the lady who's the the representative that you know she has gone around in the neighborhood. They live on our street further up, and they have kids. But uh, I she, think they're my next door neighbors. Okay. I think they're my next door neighbors. Okay. And she was saying yeah. how they were, you know, talk about what we, we kind of know that we don't have sidewalks. Uh-huh. Our street can be kind of dangerous because it has a dip uh-huh. where it goes, you know, down and up uh-huh. and it can be a blind uh-huh. spot. She uh-huh. was telling me, and that's what they were presenting, that we have over 20 something kids on our street. Who would have thought? Because I thought they were all gone. No. <laughs> you, know, you and I have lived here for a long time. I did not realize that. I didn't either. So I was like, okay. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so they're really pushing for that. But well, it, we have to pay for anything, Vicky. Yeah, they will They will assess us, but it's over it's over time, like a period of four years or five years. Okay. It could be $100 okay. more with our property uh-huh. tax or you know, oh, de- okay. It'll be in the property taxes. Got it. Yeah, and it depends on how much money they get for a grant. If they get 100% of it, yes, that's the key. I mean, you know, truthfully, I'm not opposed to it per se because, you know, I do miss, I'm not opposed to a sidewalk. Okay. Because I would like to get up in the morning and do a little walk, not have to drive down to Wick Park, you know, just to get a little bit of exercise. But you know, I have done that walking, and it's very dangerous because we have that hill where there's that lift, and you can't, and people are flying up that yes, uh, they are. colonial drive, as you know, right? Yeah. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it when I knew it was I on your side. I don't mind it either. Look, look, I didn't mind it when I knew it was on your side. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> funny. I'm like, yeah, so I was asking somebody the other day, and I was like, well, are we going to have to pay for it? And they were like, oh, no. But now I'm hearing, like, okay, so our property taxes will be assessed. Yeah, we, we Which, are going to. I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's okay. But but all of us know, will have uh, to, all of us will still have to 
tip in because it's our street total. Now, does it go all the way down to Belmont or is it just that segment that we live on? No, they're just doing because Belmont has it on our side. The one that's uh-huh. from uh, 5th to yeah, they did that a few years ago. And that's right. on our side. But this time they're going to do uh-huh. the other side, and that's going to be from 5th on down to Logan. And they're just okay. kind of figuring okay. out if they're going to do all the way down to Logan or uh-huh. just to uh-huh. from 5th to Fairway, you know, where that okay. street curves in there. And so those uh-huh. are the things that they're figuring out. But they just needed okay. some – they just needed us to, you know – to say that it was right. pretty okay with them to even think about it. Oh, and so, okay. yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a problem since I know that the assessment will be kind of over time. Right. I didn't want to be hit with some $1,000 assessment, you know, bam, and then, you know, for that. But, I mean, I like I said, I would be looking forward to a sidewalk where I could, if I wanted to get up in the morning, just do a walk down the hill and up the hill, that would be it, you know, without having to get in my car and drive. Right. And so it makes sense. And then it'll be safe, more safe for the, for, for the, the kids. kids. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, good. Good. You're doing your civic duty. Yes. Dr. Joe. I said, let me go on and see what they talking about. Let's see what's really Ooh, going on. Civic doing your what's really going on as my kids used to say what's really going on what is really going on and how much money i gotta pay that's what i'm saying right you know right you know exactly exactly but it's all good so yeah good well i'm glad i'm glad to hear a report because i didn't even know they were having a meeting i was just having a conversation with a mutual friend of ours who lives a couple of doors down from you last night and Uh you know we were talking about how it was going to be paid for so okay well good you've enlightened me thank you very much yeah so you can spread the news you can spread the news i will spread the news absolutely absolutely so how was your week then well my week was good last weekend i went down to visit my mother in north carolina she turned 104 wow october the seventh and was good me and my sister went down there and we took her out to dinner she was able to walk into the restaurant with her she calls it her gizmo her little you know it's one of those things that can be a a, you can sit in and roll or you can walk okay yes and she my mother refuses to sit down i said well my you know well let's no she wanted to walk in on her own ability oh that's nice walk to the car she walked to the car got into the car she got to the restaurant, and, you know, people came out to help her, and she says, I'm fine. She walked into the restaurant wow. at 104 on her own with the walker and sat down had a great time and said, where's my champagne? I said, all right, then. That's <laughs> it, right? 104. I said, all right, 104, and, you know, we had a Zoom Friday night. She is the second youngest of nine brothers and sisters. She's the only one still alive. Her oldest brother was born in 1898. Okay. And my mother's mother was born in 1879, and her father was born in 1878. So just think about the historical significance of that. And um, her brothers and sisters have all passed, and so she was really the matriarch of the family now, and 
there were about 20 family members representing not all her brothers and sisters because they all, many of them didn't have children or whatever children they had in the past. But uh, it was a good, was good for her. And, and she held court. Okay. She talked. Uh-huh. She talked, and my sister and I, because we were in different rooms, and I said, should we go cut her off? And my sister was like, no, just let her keep going. And she talked for about 10 minutes on Zoom, and what a legacy. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, she gave a very inspiring lecture to all the young great-great-great-grandkids that were on there about education, because, you know, she's all about education as they were, you know, coming from the South. Yes. That's what it was for us and our parents and grandparents. So uh-huh. it was very well received. So, yeah, that was a good was a good weekend. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it was a good weekend. Mm-hmm. Dee, what is going Whoa, on this week? Vicky, your first article. Wow, I'm going to let you take that one. This dude. Whoa. You know, I guess he is done. John Gurdon is done. And he's done. I think he's toast. Stick a fork in it. He is toast. He's toast. I couldn't figure out. I was like, well, what is all this uproar about? Because remember, it just right. blew up. It just blew up. <laughs> It did. It did. It did. It blew up. And so I guess, you know, he's he's done in Las Vegas. The article say he's done in Las Vegas. He's done in football and anywhere decency matters. Right. Whoa. It was just such a it was just such a shocker. Yeah, they they canceled him, as the young folks say. They canceled him for sure. The, the cancel culture. Yes. Part of that cancel culture. They canceled. Wow. That's it. And so the article just kind of talks about how that he's done. He could not coach the Las Vegas Raiders anymore, not for another mm-hmm. practice, let alone another game. And he cannot return to the broadcast booth because his image as the funny spider um, two wide banana guy is already wormed now. He's done. <laughs> Nothing. Spider two wide banana. Anyway, Gurdon had no choice but to spare um, Raiders owner Mark Davis, his greatest advocate. He resigned. Okay. He should take the 30 million plus. Okay. He has mm. stolen from the Raiders since 2018 mm. and go somewhere remote. This article is, is, is brutal, ain't it? It is brutal. <laughs> brutal. And it says, go somewhere so far away. That's the, that's the Washington Post. But for, for all those of you all in podcast land, this is not just Dr. Vicki Doe and Dr. G. Banks. This is from the Washington Post. The Washington Post. Yes, indeed. And it says, go somewhere so far away, there's not even a signal to send an email. As a matter of fact, I know, right? (laughs) As a matter of fact, he should just retire from typing because apparently he can't control his bias when his fingers start moving. I was like, dang. All right. So, Gurdon was already engulfed in controversy over a 10-year-old racist email about NFL players, Association Executive Director DeMora Smith. Now, 
after an explosive New York Times report, Gurdon must answer for a slew of hateful messages sent over several years. The Gurdon email saga is no longer just about racism. He has been exposed for making homophobic and misogynistic mm. comments too in emails that included longtime friend and former colleague Bruce Allen, who at the time was president of the organization, now known as the Washington football team. Gurdon had disparaging words about nearly every progressive thing that has occurred mm. in the mm. NFL over the past decade. Mm. 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 He, and Vicki, here's the deal. Mm -hmm. They didn't, I was listening this morning before you finished, it wasn't that they went after him with these emails. It started out because in, in Washington, mm -hmm. they, were, they were looking at claims of, you know, sexual harassment and all of that. And that's when all these emails were unraveled. So it was like they, I don't know if, if a sexual harassment case hadn't been brought, that they would have really unraveled all this stuff because it had been going on for years. For years. So he was just a bad dude. He was. And he talked about even the guy, I can't think of his name, who was, who was head of the NFL. He even called him homophobic names and this, that, and the other. And it was just kind of like, you know, it goes to speaking about how that culture mm -hmm. embraced that kind of culture of, you know, the good old boys. And then he got on television the other day and said, you know, I'm not a racist, I'm not a racist. But it, it wasn't the kind of apology mm -mm. That, that let you know that he had some heartfelt remorse for what he said. He said he felt good about himself. Well, dude, you the only one. <laughs> <laughs> right? He right. goes, I feel good about myself. Well, dude, right now you're about the only one. Right now. And the, the article, you know, it, it goes on that he exchanged emails with, with Allen. That's the, um, you know, that was uh, over the what, Washington football team and others uh -huh. that included lewd, like you said, lewd photos of women, his rep. Yeah. Reputation turned out to be collateral damage from the yeah. NFL investigation of workplace misconduct in Washington. He always had something just terrible to say. Remember about the openly gay guy that was caught? Remember his? Yeah. Him, uh, that uh, played uh, for him. Yeah. One of them played for him. Yeah. Um, what is the name? Michael Sam. Mm-hmm. And then he also. Right. Mm-hmm. Vicky, right. Remember? And then he talked about the female referees. Right. You know, and then and, the... And somebody, mm -hmm. he was sending those emails to somebody. Why was that just kept in the old boy mm -hmm. network mm -hmm. and was not brought out before? It's just, he's just a, he's just a despicable person. Bottom line, just a despicable person. Yes. Bottom line. And so the article continues on to say, don't feel sorry for him, though. Don't dare. No one ever wants their worst private comments brought to light. But as a public figure who became wealthy presenting himself as a steward of the game, Gruden must be held accountable now. 
that he has been revealed as fraudulent and full of deplorable viewpoints. Yep. Yep. I don't know if you saw the interview or or have even followed him. I actually have his his, uh, jersey. Randy Moss, who's African-American, used to play for the Patriots. And he played for a long time. He retired. He played with Brady. They were a force back in the early 2000s, when maybe not early 2000s, maybe 2008-9, when the Patriots were winning all the Super Bowls. And Randy Moss, I saw him yesterday, was doing an interview on one of these sports commentators. He started crying. Oh, wow. He said, and this is Randy Moss, who, like, you know, was always, you know. Big time. Yeah. Big time. He started to cry and said, you know, this this is what we've had to deal with. And more of this stuff is coming out. I mean, I'm paraphrasing what he said uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, to the extent that he played for these coaches and this, that, and the other. And to know that this was going on behind closed doors, that how can you look at these coaches now and think that they think anything more of you than what, you know, just like he talked about that guy's lip. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? I know. So how can you look at these guys and not? I'm, you know, I don't want to cast a wide net on coaches because not everybody's like that. Right. But it just takes a few bad apples like Gruden. And it was so funny. There was a meme or mime, however you pronounce it, on uh-huh. Facebook that said Urban Meyer's glad because they took the conversation off of him. <laughs> you know, Urban Meyer had his issues a couple weeks ago or whatever. So I Urban know. Meyer was like, glad it's taken off of me now. <laughs> But again, it just speaks to I this know. whole old boy network crap. That's it. And it's coming to light. And we, we kind of always kind of knew that stuff was going on. But yeah. We did. Yeah. We did. You know, this is a time that I would love to hear your brother tease. We have to have him on one day yeah. on our hot topic. Yes. To talk about these kinds of issues from the male standpoint. Not that we're sexist or anything like that, but just the kind of But it's of nice here, to know, hear their perspective. Yes. Yes, that old boy culture kind of thing. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, but wait, uh-huh. wait, one last thing. Uh huh. He's taken thirty million dollars with him. That's the whole point. Let that sink in. Yes. Let that sink in. Don't feel sorry. Don't feel that. sorry. That's what they said. Don't <laughs> feel sorry for him. Don't feel sorry for him. Yeah. Now they asked the question: Have they scanned his bones? For homophobia yet, for sexism, for stupidity, for leaving a virtual paper trail of the worst of himself. And that's the key. Who does that? How stupid. He left a paper trail. He left a paper trail. That goes under the biggest dumb criminal that I can ever think of. You know how the criminal drops his wallet in the bank and steals money. This is the biggest dumb criminal that I have ever heard of. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. he's gone for good. So, on Friday, yes. he... By Felicia. Happy By trail. Felicia. They said on Friday <laughs> morning, he woke up as the coach of a 3-1 and one team that seemed to be in good place. Huh. By Monday night, he was gone. <laughs> I know. You don't feel sorry for him. 30 million. 30 million. He doesn't really, bottom line though, Vic, he doesn't ever have to work a day in his life, ever. That's the point. But at the same time, he won't be able to make more money on on that route. No, he won't. That route. He got to figure something else out. No, 
Maybe he'll be selling hamburgers or something. Well, he probably better invest some of that in some crypto or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they're not going to let him come on and be a commentator. I'm, I'm sure he's oh, yeah. going to let him come on oh, yeah. and be a commentator like Tony Dungy and all these guys. That's not going to happen. No, no, no. They say he's done forever. Yeah. He's done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. John there, Gruden there, there is done. Is. Yes. Done. Toast. There it is. There it is. I know you and your friend, y'all like Jeopardy. Yeah. So. We do. Yeah, we do. And we do the trivia, trivia um, thing at the Avalon Squaw all the time. So, of course, I was interested in this. And it actually because I was a uh, on GE College Bowl. So I'm really all into this. So, Jeopardy champ Matt Amadio's epic winning streak ends at 38 games and $1.5 million. Dang. After 38 wins, $1.5 million in prize money, and countless tweets complaining about his use of the word what, <laughs> viewers finally saw Matt Amadio lose a game of Jeopardy, or as the show mournfully announced in a news release, the Amadio Rodeo is over. Wow. So Amadio, a 30-year-old Ph.D. candidate, or Ph.D. at Yale, was defeated Monday by Jonathan Fisher, an actor from Coral Gables, Florida. Amadio was trailing Fisher by $4,000 going into the final Jeopardy round, which featured the category Countries of the World. So the final clue was Nazi Germany annexed this, annexed this nation and divided it into regions of the Alps, and the Danube, the Allies later divided it into four sectors. His answer was Poland. Nah, no, because if you knew your geography, as I was thinking, there are no Alps in Poland, uh -huh. and there's no Danube River in Poland. Uh -huh. So then it boils down to Hungary, mm -hmm. where I believe there is this, uh, no, not, no, yeah, I think there, no, yeah, I think the Danube River is in part of Hungary, but then, mm -hmm. nah, no Alps in Hungary. So then if you continue to go down with your geography, mm -hmm. what has the Alps and the Dan Danube? And the answer was Austria. Austria, Because I didn't okay. know that issue about four sectors and all of that. So okay. the answer was Austria. And he did $4,000 uh -huh. lost, and it was just enough for this other guy to win. So, yeah, so he's second only to Ken Jennings. Right, right. I forgot because I was going to ask who was mm -hmm. the, yeah. Who's the long-standing? First one was Ken Jennings. Okay. Ken Jennings. Ken Jennings, who was actually up for to be a host, but I guess I don't like her. Full disclosure. Who's the this? young lady who is now the oh yeah the one that was on what's that show where she was this brilliant person? I can't think of the name of the television show, but she was like a really smart person. But in real life, she really is a smart person. I think she's got a PhD from MIT. Yeah, that she but does. But she's now the the host. But yeah, so his. Winning streak is over. It is over. Wow. Who knows that much trivia? Eek. I know. $1.5 million, though, in prize money. And today, I saw him on CNN. They asked him what he was going to do. Okay. He said he was hoping that he was, never gonna, he was not going to have to touch that money for many, many, many years and just put it in savings and let it grow. Okay. Okay. I can deal. I can deal with that. That's it. Okay, cool. And he's thirty years old too, so he got some time. And he's thirty years old, and he's got he's got a job, so uh. he's got a you know job. So just put it away. I you know that's very smart. Not go out and buy a Tesla or I'm not putting down any cars, but a yacht or a house. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. 
He's going to so sit on it. will do that. Yeah. He's, he's going to sit on it. Good for him. Good yeah. for him. Good for him. Good for him. What's the latest out there? What's the latest? Well, the latest is just briefly, we've all, including myself, those of us who got Moderna and J&J have been waiting with bated breath for the FDA to come out with recommendations regarding the booster. As we know right now, the only coronavirus vaccine that's that's approved for a booster is Pfizer. Mm -hmm. Well, sad news, kind of sad news. First of all, the FDA is meeting tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, to evaluate the information that has been presented to them about Moderna and J&J. Number one, it uh, appears preliminarily that Moderna might be given at half the dose But secondly, it might not be approved because they feel that the antibodies that most people have gotten with the Moderna original vaccine don't warrant a booster and that the studies that the company presented don't show that it's needed. And secondly, just today, hot off the press, Uh it appears to be the same thing for J&J, that the data does not support a booster at this point because of the antibody level. Now, not all is lost because that's just submitted tomorrow to the FDA. Okay. They will meet on it and discuss it, and then probably sometime late Friday evening, we will hear from the FDA about their recommendations. It doesn't stop there. Okay. So then after the FDA makes their recommendations, then it goes to the advisory committee on immunization practices, which is under the Center for Disease Control, they will, again, look at the data, and they will make their recommendations. And then hopefully sometime in another couple weeks, we'll come down with either no booster except for a small segment of people that got it and the J&J. So I I don't really know how it's going to fall out. Honestly, I just... Reading the information, okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't know, Vicky. I just don't know. So stay tuned, everybody. Oh yeah, big time, huh? Stay tuned. Yeah. But at least, yeah. at least more people. Does it seem like more people are getting vaccinated since they're being forced to I do that? Think, I think I do. You know what? The mandate in some places has made a big difference, which is why I'm a big mandate person. I mean, mm-hmm. And people have lost their jobs in North Carolina. I think they. Fire 212 people at like, uh, I think I stand to be corrected on the actual number, but Novant, which is out of North Carolina. And, you know, okay. people need to take a hard line on this. We're in a major, m- middle of a major pandemic. And so sometimes you have to do things that are unpopular. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, what about the kids? You know, they're shy. So, yeah. So everybody, yeah. And so I was just texted today by another friend of mine whose kids in the first grade, and you just keep hearing the drip, drip of all these kids in school that can't get vaccinated about people in their school systems that have COVID. So this just came out Friday. Millions of kids, coronavirus, shot, ready to go, initial doses to be shared on a population basis. Within days of regulators clearing the nation's first coronavirus vaccine for younger children, federal officials say they will begin pushing out as many as 20, 20 million doses of Pfizer, pediatric vaccine, to immunize school-age kids across the United States in a bid to control the pandemic. But the kickoff of a long-awaited children's vaccine is expected to go in to start as early as November. And this time around, the government has purchased enough doses to give two shots to all 28 million children from 5 to 11. Still, federal and state officials and health providers say that vaccinating children is likely to be more challenging 
than it was for adults and teens. Federal government plans to allocate the initial shots according to a formula to ensure equitable distribution, likely based on a station state's population of eligible children, according to a federal health official who spoke on the condition of anonymity to share planning. Enlisting besieged health providers and persuading reluctant parents will be complicated. It will be when you're talking about somebody's kids. I know. Everyone is so busy right now. Kids are going back to school. We're seeing disease increases. And it's true in pediatricians' offices because of exposure to other viruses like flu and RSV. Mm. Said Patty Stinchfield, a former senior director of infection prevention and control at Children's Minnesota, a pediatric health system in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Clinicians are still completing coronavirus vaccines for those 12 and older, as well as getting third shots to immunocompromised people and boosters to older adults. And now this population, she goes, Stenchville said, there is a great worry about mm. how the United States will manage the new wave. The long-running efforts to clear the nation's first coronavirus vaccine for younger children moved into high gear this week, meaning last week. Mm-hmm. When Pfizer and BioNTech filed a formal request with the FDA to authorize a regimen of two 10-microgram doses in 5- to 11-year-olds, one-third the amount given to those 12 and older. An FDA expert panel is scheduled to hear presentations on the efficacy of it on October the 26th mm. with vaccine advisors to the CDC and prevention meeting on November the 2nd and 3rd. Remember, that's when I told you it goes from the FDA, mm-hmm. then it goes to the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Mm. We're ready. We have the supply. The White House car- coronavirus coordinator was on CNN and said, we're working with states to set up locations and all of that. But the government will initially distribute only a portion of the 65 million doses it has purchased, according to a senior federal health official who spoke, again, on anonymity. Anonymity. In a memo sent to state immunization officials, CDC said there would be an initial large one-time bolus of pediatric product made available pro rata for jurisdictions to order. Questions that are unanswered. Okay. How do you get clinicians to want to participate in the program? What role will the pharmacists have? What role will the schools have? How will we help parents get their questions answered quickly and by whom? Such questions are a particular concern, and at a moment when many health systems and clinicians are slammed, okay. as you know, me and your honey sweet Dr. Doe, mm-hmm. with many health care caregivers in their 20th month on the pandemic front line. I mean, we're just slammed. Mm. In a last Wednesday, October the 5th conference call, immunization officials were told there would be vaccine allocation, but were given very few specifics. And that's the whole problem with this whole thing, Vicki. And everyone does recognize that for younger kids, the pediatric office is the trusted place for vaccines, meaning how are you going to distribute this? Okay. The information about dose distribution and other key t- details are not clear. So I just want to end this by saying mm-hmm. we need to basically wait until after October the 26th to see how this shakes out, to see what recommendations are going to be given but it's not over then. As we know, as we saw from the adults, you know, I guess I look to, you know, making sure that it's an equitable distribution. You know, will the will the more affluent areas where the kids okay. are get the vaccine first and yeah. those that are not so much? How, how is that all, how the inner city, I, I hate to use that word, but how, how are the black and brown and minority kids going to be equitably given the vaccines and or 
where is the message rollout? Because right now, in my opinion, they should be doing a message rollout. Yeah, and they're not. But they don't, I don't think they, no, I don't see it. I don't think they communicate for any of this. No, I don't think it's communication, none nothing. It. No, none of it. Absolutely right, Vicki. Absolutely. It's terrible. It's terrible. The rollout and the information, I want to say this, I'm an infectious disease specialist. Mm-hmm. I'm confused. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there it is. Well, there it is. And thank you, Dee. You are welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood-Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicki Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. Our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 70. Our first article that we're going to talk about is the last word. Do you really need to eat breakfast? And this was written by Everyday Health. And here's the deal. We always, that's all we talk about. Should we eat breakfast or should we not? We've been discussing this for Mm -hmm. a while. It says, though the topic is hotly debated, research and dietitians agree there's a clear answer for people looking to optimize their nutrition and support a healthy weight. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Or is it? While it may have been something your mom told you as she tried to give you a bag of cereal as you walked out of the door to school, it's become a trend to intentionally skip a morning meal for health promotion in some cases, such as with intermittent fasting. But what's the real story? And how do registered dietitians advise their clients, especially those who say they just aren't hungry in the morning? Well, here's the scoop. The claim about eating breakfast. The origin of the original claim that breakfast is the most important meal of the day is based on a marketing campaign by a cereal manufacturer in the 1940s. As the Atlantic reported in 2016, the goal, as we see, to sell more grape nuts, <laughs> not to. I imp- used to hate those. I know, 
not to improve public health. But I thought about you when I read this because, as we say, who's benefiting, right? Who's benefiting, right? Who's benefiting? Exactly. So the, the campaign was to sell more grape nuts. Well, since then, however, there has been a lot of research on how eating breakfast affects health and weight, as well as learning and cognitive performance in adults and children, says Ginger Halton, an RDN, a registered dietitian, owner of Champagne Nutrition in Seattle, and author of Anti-Inflammatory Diet Meal Prep and How to Eat to Beat Disease Cookbook. So while the origin of this claim wasn't rooted in scientific evidence, there is now research to support the recommendations. The scientific research or whether to eat breakfast. Well, while we can find studies supporting both sides of the debate, it's important to focus on meta-analysis, which look at many studies on the same subject to find a conclusion says Halton. The evidence seems to be most conclusive that skipping breakfast creates worse health outcomes for many people, says Halton. For example, in a meta-analysis of 45 observational studies published in the January-February 2020 issue of obesity research and clinical practice, researchers concluded that skipping breakfast is associated with being overweight or having obesity. One reason skipping breakfast or not eating for extended periods of time may increase overeating at other times of the day, says Halton. This is extremely common and actually a pattern that's tied to worse outcomes for weight management not better, she ex explains. The choice to eat breakfast doesn't only affect weight, metabolic health is also involved. A systemic review and meta-analysis published in November 2015 in Public Health Nutrition concluded that skipping breakfast correlated to a 21% increased risk of type 2 diabetes and that eating breakfast could be protective against developing the disease. And then there's mental health. There's research that ties breakfast skipping to a higher odds of being depressed and stressed, says Samantha Cassetti, who's an RD, registered dietitian, nutrition and wellness expert based in New York City and co-author of Sugar Shock. She points to a systematic review and meta-analysis published in Nutritional Neuroscience in December 2020 that involved nearly 400,000 people. The data linked skipping breakfast, a 55% higher likelihood to having psychological distress compared with people who ate breakfast. That said, studies are conflicting. Take a meta-analysis published in 2019 in BMJ, which looked at 13 randomized controlled trials. Participants who were instructed to eat breakfast consume about 260 more calories compared with those who were in a breakfast-skipping group. 
That said, as the authors point out, the quality of these studies were low. For one, they were conducted over an average of seven weeks, so more studies are needed. Another meta-analysis published in Obesity in June 2020 also looked at randomized controlled trials, finding that breakfast skipping was associated with about a pound of weight loss over two months compared with eating the meal. But skipping is also associated with an increase in bad LDL cholesterol. Longer term studies are certainly warranted. You could say that skipping breakfast is really the modern day intermittent fasting. A popular eating pattern is called 16-8, in which people fast for 16 hours and eat for eight hours per day. Often they will start eating at noon and this type of eating may offer health benefits including improving metabolic health for those who have obesity or diabetes, decreasing risk of cardiovascular disease and cancer, notes a review published in December 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine. The authors hypothesized that this may be because fasting may switch the body into a ketogenic state, encouraging it to burn fat for fuel and improving blood sugar levels, blood pressure, and decreasing visceral fat. But more studies are needed. And what's clear is intermittent fasting isn't for everyone. What's more, health experts warn the eating pattern may be unsustainable and may set some people up for overeating later in the day. Nutritionally, that's the key, key, right? Nutritionally speaking, skipping breakfast may not be wise. Mm -hmm. Cassetti points out, one study published in Proceedings of the Nutrition Society in April 2021 noted that breakfast skippers consume fewer nutrients like calcium, vitamin D, folate, and iron. Even when snacking more, breakfast skippers don't make up the nutrients from the missed meals, she says. As it is, many people don't have balanced enough diets. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, when it comes to eating a wide variety of healthy foods, Americans received an average score of 59 out of 100 <laughs> on the wow. I know on the healthy eating index which assess it assesses diet quality. If you choose to skip your morning meal, you will really need to make sure that lunch, dinner and snacks are on point. It's also important to put this question into context. There are many other factors that play a role in one's risk of developing certain chronic conditions, aside from whether or not a person eats or does not eat breakfast. So it's difficult to find conclusive evidence on one specific habit without looking at the bigger picture, says Elizabeth Adrian who's an RD, um, registered dietitian, founder of City to See Nutrition, 
and in-person and um, virtual nutrition counseling in New York City. Still, she recommends her clients eat breakfast to regulate hunger, prevent overeating, and get in a quality meal at the beginning of the day. The final word on whether you need to eat breakfast, all three registered dietitians were interviewed recommend breakfast to their clients, but what you eat matters more than the specific timing, than the specific timing. It's okay to wait until you're hungry, even if that comes later in the morning. Focus on whole plant-based fiber-filled foods and limit added sugars, refined grains, and excess sodium, says Cassetti. Scrambled eggs with veggies and whole grain toast or a smoothie made with fruit, veggies like spinach, nut butter, almond milk, and protein powder or Greek yogurt are two examples of power breakfasts that fit the bill. All that to say, yes, eat your breakfast, but guess what? It depends on what you eat. Having all that bacon uh and ham. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably not a good breakfast. Absolutely. Probably need to skip that one. You probably do. (laughs) You probably do. Probably need to skip that one. And back to the whole foods, um, back to plant-based. Yeah, Yeah, fiber food, filled foods, you know, not a lot of sugar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. ditch that sodium, not a whole bunch of salt. Exactly. All right. So the next article, this is. This is kind of weird. I mean, it's kind of like I can't imagine. I can't imagine being in a school system today with parents. It's almost like what, one of the reasons I didn't go into pediatrics is that you got to deal with not only the kids, but you got to deal with the parents. So anyway, okay. This article, <laughs> the hot new back to school accessory, an air quality monitor. Parents are sneaking carbon dioxide monitors into their children's schools to determine whether the buildings are safe. Here we go. Mm-hmm. When Lizzie Rothwell, an architect in Philadelphia, sent her son to third grade this fall, she stocked his blue L.L. Bean, okay? <laughs> they didn't get one from the dollar store. She stocked his blue L.L. Bean backpack with pencils. Probably was an L.L. Bean with his initials on it, but anyway. Mm-hmm. So his blue L.L. Bean backpack with pencils, wide rule paper, and a portable carbon dioxide monitor. The device gave her a quick way to, accept, to assess how much fresh air was flowing through the school. Low levels of carbon dioxide would indicate that it was well ventilated, reducing her son's odds of catching coronavirus. But she quickly discovered that during lunch, carbon dioxide levels in the um, cafeteria rose to nearly double those recommended by CDC and prevention. She shared what she learned with the principal and asked if students could eat outside. She expressed surprise that I had any data at all, she said. Ms. Rockwell is one of a growing number of parents who are sneaking carbon dioxide monitors into schools in a clandestine effort to make sure their children's classrooms are safe. Aronet, which makes a monitor, who's benefiting? Who's benefiting? Aronet, which makes a monitor popular with parents, says that orders have doubled since the new school year began. Some school systems have made the monitors part of their official pandemic precautions. New York City has distributed the devices to every public school, and the British government has announced plans to do the same. But elsewhere, parents are taking matters into their own hands, sneaking in monitors, which can cost a hundred can cost a hundred dollars or more, in their children's backpacks or pants pockets. Now, let me just say this: 
what school systems parents have the ability to afford a hundred dollar carbon dioxide monitor to go in their children's? They're just trying to get the books paid for and all the other stuff. Okay, I'm saying. Yeah. And all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Although the devices, which can be set to take readings every minute, every few minutes, work best when exposed to the open air. They can generate informative data as long as they are not completely sealed away, said Dr. Alex Huffman, an aerosol scientist at University of Denver, who sent the monitors to school with his children. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He recommended leaving backpacks or pants pockets unzipped for tucking the monitor into the mesh water bottle pouch that is now standard on many backpacks. Many of these parents have forged a community on Twitter where they're using the hashtag, hashtag COVID carbon dioxide to trade tips about how to smuggle the monitors into the classroom. What is this teaching your children? Anyway, how to interpret the data <laughs> they're collecting and how to approach the school with their findings. I'm just, you know, I'm just analyzing as I go along. Mm-hmm. Some school officials have frowned upon these guerrilla air monitoring efforts but parents say the devices have armed them with data to advocate for their children. But where are the randomized, evidence-based, you know how we do with the I know. statistics. Yes. All right. It's possible that the school district may not be all that happy with this because I think it gives us a window into the fact that they may not actually be treating ventilation as seriously as they can be, said this Dr. Huffman. Mm. Coronavirus spreads through tiny airborne droplets known as aerosols. Improving indoor ventilation reduces the concentration of these aerosols and the risk of infection in indoor space, but there is no easy way for members of the public to measure the ventilation rate, let alone the accumulation of viral aerosols. Ideally, there'd be some machine that costs $100 and it starts beeping if the virus is in the air, said Jose Luis Jimenez, an aerosol scientist at the University of Colorado Boulder, who was sending a carbon dioxide monitor to school with his son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the absence of such a device, he said, carbon dioxide is something that provides an affordable and very meaningful shortcut. Every time we exhale, we expel not only aerosols, but also carbon dioxide. The worse the ventilation, the more carbon dioxide builds up in an occupied room. If we see the, the carbon dioxide levels rising, then that also implies that the concentration of aerosols are rising, said Dr. Huffman. Even just bringing a sensor for a day or two can give you an interesting and useful window into the world of ventilation. Jean Nars, who lives in St. Louis, said that she bought her monitor after losing confidence in officials in her school district, her son's school district. They just hadn't been very transparent about ventilation. They say that it's fine and that they did their own testing, but then they wouldn't share the data with me. Miss Norris and her husband are both science teachers, and so far their data suggests that the ventilation is excellent in both of their classrooms, but carbon dioxide levels in her son's classroom sometimes surpasses 1,300 parts per million. The CDC recommends that the indoor carbon dioxide level remain below 800 parts per million. After she collects more data, she plans to take her findings to school officials and ask them to improve the ventilation. I'm willing to be creative and brainstorm with them. Some parents have gotten results when Jeremy Chrysler of Conway, Arkansas, sent a monitor into his 13-year-old daughter's pocket, Mm. backpack, Mm. this fall. The carbon dioxide readings were 4,000 parts per million. He brought his findings to school district officials who discovered that two components of the school's HVAC system were not working 
after the units were fixed, carbon dioxide levels plummeted. What my measurement showed was, hey, measuring carbon dioxide can identify problems, and sometimes those problems are easy to fix. Although Ms. Rothwell, that we talked about at the beginning of this, has not convinced her school, son's school to move lunch outdoors, the principal has said he is committed to improving ventilation. Results may vary. There are some success stories, says Kimberly Prather, an atmospheric chemist at University of California, San Diego. Unfortunately, I've heard more parents reject it. After Shannon Kerr of Waterloo, Canada, found high carbon dioxide levels in her daughter's school, she asked district officials to monitor indoor air quality throughout the building, even offering her own carbon dioxide monitor. They've been very dismissive. In an email to the Times, Loretta Naughton, Director of Education of the Waterloo Catholic District School Board, said that follow-up testing in the classrooms Ms. Kerr identified revealed that carbon dioxide levels were within acceptable parameters. Air quality testing is done on an as-need basis. The board does not intend on performing ongoing monitoring of carbon dioxide. Now, Ms. Kerr has also run into resistance closer to home. Mm-hmm. Her daughter no longer wants to take the monitor to school. I'm bribing her with Kit Kat chocolate bars, but it's not working. <laughs> Graham Freeman, the father of two boys in Santa Cruz, California, said his request to send carbon dioxide monitors to schools with his son was denied. Chris Monroe, the superintendent of Santa Cruz, said she is confident in the ventilation upgrades the district performed last winter and that it would be inappropriate to put individual students in the position of monitoring. Of course it is. So anyway, lastly, it's our responsibility to assure every space safe, not just to have individuals coming on campus to find out if a space, specific space safe. Mr. Freeman has been sending the monitors into school anyway, tucked into the pockets of his son's cargo pants. I mean, really. I know, right? The monitors did capture a small spike during a lockdown drill at his son's middle school when the teachers closed the classroom door. Well, of course. Right. So anyway, lastly, and this is kind of one of my comments, is that there are limitations. Some devices are more reliable than others. How do you... How do you calibrate everybody's different monitor, Vicky? I know. Um, what if some 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 monitor is offset because of some calibration situation, and it reads four thousand when it's in air, and it should be reading something less than that? Right. Readings can be skewed by yes. a lot of factors. Mm-hmm. Children can still catch the virus with low levels of carbon dioxide and good ventilation, and high quality air fi- filters can trap viral aerosols but have no effect on carbon dioxide levels yeah so in schools that have installed these filters carbon dioxide readings alone may overestimate the risk of transmission so i'm just going to end this by saying there are a lot of flaws with this it's a very interesting article Uh belgium apparently has mandated carbon dioxide monitors in restaurants, gyms, and buildings. Mm. But, Vicki, it's a lot different to have these monitors in buildings where you can calibrate. Mm-hmm. If you're going to have little Susie and Tom and Mary bringing in their own individual mm-hmm. monitors, mm-hmm. who's going to check your monitors to see if they're accurate? And are we going to create dogma based on little Susie's monitor that the mother got from whoever who you don't know where they got it from, and it's not calibrated. So I just have a few issues with that. That's all I'm saying. And then second of all, you know, where is it? If you're in a gym and everybody breathing and, and, and doing high aerobics and stuff like that and running, um, <clears throat> did they have a mask on? At the end of the right. day, 
at the end of the day, did they have the mask on? How you, how you, what are you doing? You know, if you have your mask on, it's going to cut some of that stuff in the air, ain't it? Right. Don't you think? Right, right. You know, but yeah, like so you said, saying, it's, just, it's, it's too flawed. It's too many what ifs. Too many. Exactly. It's just a lot of, there's too many variables. Exactly. There's too many variables. So I'm just saying that, you know, these things need to be looked at. And like they do with a lot of things. You can't have Tom, Dick, and Harry bringing in. I mean, it was the situation with the thermometers. You you had to have the yes. And that was the problem with some of the thermometers. They were yes. not calibrated. And people yes. were reading, you know, getting all kinds of off, off whatever readings. So I'm just saying, you know, you just... When little Susie comes in, and you don't know if little Susie <laughs> dropped it in the toilet. That's the point. I, I didn't want to say that, but. <laughs> I mean, I, what if little Susie dropped it in a, dropped it in some water coming That's. The, I was and, thinking and that, but. Uh, monitor back in backpack. Exactly. Or, in the toilet or whatever. I mean, are we going to trust a 12-year-old? Exactly. kind of carbon dioxide monitor, and we're going to read that at the end of the day. That's and it. Some some, med- some quantification for a whole school system. I'm just saying. That's what I was gonna say, but I'm I was like, saying. ugh, that kind of sounds nasty. But that's true. It, we and don't I know mean, what. What is that? What you don't know where that monitor has been during exactly. The day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, little little Johnny could have dropped it on the <laughs> ground, and the batteries fell out, and now they're putting it in, and it's all kind of witch ways. Glass is cracked, and this. I'm just saying. That's okay. it. And then still, aren't you supposed to have your mask on? Doesn't that cut down all that stuff in the air? Anyway. anyway. Period. Period. Okay. I'm well. Saying. I'm just being the devil's advocate. I'm just saying. It was a nice <laughs> article, but I'm just saying. And then not every kid, parents can afford that kind of money. Yeah, that's true. Those are the things that we see when we look for articles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta put your thinking cap on. You just can't fall for the okie doke. You just—that's it. <laughs> you just can't. You know, we're scientists, me and you, and so we think about all these things that could affect those kind of outcomes. But that, you know, what parents are going to be like? Well, they don't take into account dropping it in the toilet or That's it. going into school. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought about. Oh, I know, right? That's it. (laughs) Oh, it's really gonna stay in that back pocket, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Exactly. I know. I know. Exactly. So yeah. Well, we'll do our last article. The top. 10 best and worst cities for people with disabilities. And I, I'm interested in this because yes. uh, with my spinal stenosis, I have a disability, not that I'm in a wheelchair, but I mean, I could get there. And it was also interesting when I tell you about this article. So from uh-huh. 2021, best and worst cities for people with disabilities report, the personal finance website, Wallet Hub, evaluate 182 U.S. cities using several different data sources pertaining to issues such as employment, health care, Percentage of people living with disabilities in the area, percentage of people with disabilities living at the poverty level, walkable park access per capita physicians and cost of living. 
The report also includes information on how each city was handling the COVID pandemic since many people with a disability may be at higher risk for infection. So the best cities, let's do the rundown. Uh-huh. For people with a disability, Overland Park, Kansas, Scottsdale, Arizona, St. Louis, Missouri, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Denver, Colorado, Rochester, New York, Yonkers, New York, Huntington Beach, California, San Francisco, and Tucson, Arizona. The bottom of the list, living with disabilities, Huntsville, Alabama, Montgomery, Arizona, Jackson, Mississippi, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where I'm from and where my mother lives, Mm -hmm. Mobile, Alabama, Tallahassee, Florida, New Haven, Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Providence, Rhode Island, and Gulfport, Mississippi. Mm. The average monthly... Social Security Disability Benefit as of August 2021 was $1,552.37, which adds up to $13,000 a year, only slightly higher than the federal poverty Mm. guideline for an individual, which is $12,880 a year. Overland Park, Kansas, has the lowest share of people with disabilities living in poverty at 8.70%. In Rochester, New York, close to half, 44.90% 44.90% of people with disabilities live below the poverty level. Depending on where you live, the cost of getting in-home health can more than double. El Paso and Brownsville, Texas, have the lowest medium annual income of in-home services at 34300 which is 2.3 times lower than Seattle and Tacoma, Washington, the cities at the highest cost of, ooh, 80000 mm. That's in-home health. For people with a disability, especially if they are unable to work, the cost of accessibility can be out of reach, says Dr. Sweenar. Living in an accessible home in an accessible community is expensive. Housing options that are close to public transportation or in a safe, safe walkable area are usually not found in a low-cost area, cost-of-living area, and that creates inequity, which is also part of this COVID vaccine thing. Mm. You know, people with disabilities, they can't get out to get transportation. Mm. Which is why I applaud our Mayor Tito Brown, who rerouted the RTA system so that at least if they could get out, people with disabilities or people who didn't have access would be, you know, swung by the vaccine places. Mm -hmm. One in four adults, an estimated 61 million Americans, live with disability that impacts their activities of daily life, according to the CDC. The most common disability is immobility, and it affects 40% of adults, 65 mm. and older. Issues of inclusiveness and accessibility don't just impact the individual with disabilities. The trade-offs and challenges affect everyone in their family. That's true. Yes. This kind of information can help people make the best and most informed decisions for themselves, says Barry Talente, the executive vice president, vice president of advocacy and healthcare access for the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. It includes criteria that are important to many people with disabilities that others may not pay close attention to. Some examples and things we hear from people with MS include accessible park transportation, affordable and accessible housing, accessible public space like parks and social places, and access to home and community-based services, says Talente. Because each person is different and people living with disabilities include a broad range of disabilities, it's important to individuals to review the criteria used in the survey that are most important to them. 
seek out people and organizations to find out if a community is disability friendly. Mm. Connecting with other people with the same lived experience is a great way to figure out how welcoming, accessible, and inclusive a city is for people with disabilities. I don't think that people outside the disability community fully understand the important role all these factors can play in where a person decides where to go to school, get a job, and to raise a family. There are lots of fantastic disability advocacy groups on a national and local level, says Sweenar. Identifying contact a group in the community where you're considering relocating or ask people in your community if they know anyone living in that area, she suggests. And I want to go back into because maybe I did not mm-hmm. introduce this Dr. Sweener. Her name is Bonaline Sweener. She's a Ph.D. MPH. Okay. She's the director of Johns Hopkins University Disability Health Research Center mm-hmm. and an associate professor of ophthalmology at Hopkins Medicine in Baltimore. So mm-hmm. she's the one that's weighing in on all of that. Okay. Advocating for what you need and what will make an inclusive environment within the city itself or in private businesses within the city can make an impact, says Talente. People with MS have advocated for accessible bathrooms at a restaurant, an accessible push door opener at a bank, accessible trails and parks, accessible transportation, and much more. That's pretty much the end of the article. You know, I had an incident today okay. where I have a handicapped sticker because of my spinal stenosis and all of that. And I was driving into the parking lot today, mm-hmm. and, I mean, my disability is documented and this, that, and the other. And I pulled up there. Fortunately, there was a spot. And I looked next to me, and there was a car in the spot that didn't have a handicap sticker on it. Now, I'm not trying to dig into what your handicap is or whatever, but if you have a handicap sticker, I'm assuming that you need a handicap sticker. But when you don't have one, you don't deserve to be in that spot. That's it. You know what I'm saying? Of course. So if you left yours at home, go park in the regular parking lot spaces and do your thing. So I'm glad that this article came out. I looked at it. My mother... You know, she has help and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. people forget that, as this article said, there's a large segment of the population. And most of it has to do with immobility. They can't walk because of X, Y, and Z issues. Mm -hmm. And accessing. And and where this, like I said, where this was most important or shook out Mm -hmm. was in people, disability, people with disabilities having access not only to health care, which is, a biggie, but having access to getting coronavirus vaccines, you know, there's not a Rite Aid in every community or, or CVS in every community, and people had to be able to get out in their wheelchairs and get onto a bus or this, that, and the other. So you understand how important oh, an article yeah. like this is. Oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. And so, so. and, and so mm-hmm. it, you know, to even think about it, because a lot of times we don't think about all the things that folks that have, you know, that can't walk and other issues. Right. How? Being right. blind, you know, getting around. It, exactly. Exactly. And not everybody has a car. We think everybody has an automobile. Mm-hmm. They don't. People have to rely on other people to take them this, that, and place. And, and people that are in wheelchairs, you know, they were talking about the major thing here was multiple sclerosis. You know, they can get around if they have access, like if they have the buses that have the drop-down things for their wheelchairs to get on. But a lot of these communities mm-hmm. don't do that. I know. So, you know, it's a, it's a problem. It you is know, a, problem. a problem. Yes. Okay. Well, we know that 
there are some worse cities out there that you know. Yeah, yeah. No, they're just worse cities. And like I said, I'm going to send this article to my mother because I know even at 104, she'll be yelling and screaming about it. Look what this article <laughs> said about Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I'm sure she'll send it right to the mayor because the mayor is one of her besties. And she'll send it to the mayor who will say, okay, Dr. Newell, we'll try to fix this. But That's yeah, good. She's always a champion for everybody, but good. I mean, I you know, she will she will send this to the appropriate person, and then they whether they feel that it is or not, perception counts for a lot. Yes, yes, that's important. You know, so well, D, this ends our show. So, do you have some tips of what we should think about? Well, I think the, the, your article about the needing to eat breakfast kind of thing is important. I just think it still boils down to eating a healthy breakfast, not doing the skipping and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, just basically revamp what you're eating. Look at, like you said, whole grains, mm-hmm. vegetables. You know, they mentioned some things, spinach, nut butter, almond milk, protein powder, yogurt, all that if you want to do a smoothie. Mm-hmm. And try to cut out those things that, you know, you know, everybody knows are not going to contribute to your health. That's and it. then also, breakfast is an important meal of the day. And as I always say, I've gotten back on track with that. If you eat certain foods, you're not going to be hungry because if exactly. you eat certain foods that are going to now shoot your blood sugar, you know, to where you're hungry again, you're going to start grazing. If you eat breakfast at 8 o'clock, mm-hmm. you're going to start grazing at 10 mm-hmm. as opposed to your breakfast holding you from 8 until 12. And then one other thing that you mentioned in there, mm-hmm. some people look at the clock and say, it's time to eat. Uh-huh. Well, maybe you need to revamp that too. You eat when you're hungry. Exactly. Also, the article didn't didn't talk about that, but we always tell people a lot of your health is letting your body rest between meals. Your your stomach, your intestines, your all of that, your small intestine, your this and that, all of that needs a rest in between meals. We don't give our bodies rest because we're constantly eating. <laughs> <laughs> I know I still would be like, dang, again? God, we got to. <laughs> so please. You're so right. Your body wants you to stop eating all the time. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> and that's all oh, I have to goodness. say on that's that. That's a, on that note. <laughs> and as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.